Today I'd like to talk with you about the appearance of things versus reality. The outward appearance versus the truth that's beyond what our physical eyes can see. What is it? Is it the outward appearance of things? Is that really what is real in life? Or is there a world, a whole spiritual world that's real, that's all about us all the time, even right now, that the physical eyes can't see, but that the spiritual eyes could see? Let's talk about that today, and especially as we consider the Mount of Transfiguration and what God teaches us there in Luke chapter 9 about that great event that took place years ago when Jesus went up on that mountain with his disciples and was wonderfully changed before them. What does God teach us about the outward appearance of things versus the truth and the spiritual world all about us beyond what our physical eyes can see? Let's talk about that and see what we can learn today by God's word. First, let me ask this question. How about the world of unbelievers? Do they judge people and things by what they see, by the outward appearance, or by some other way? What, do, what would you say? How do people in the world judge things? Is it the outward appearance or by a deeper reality? It's the outward appearance is the way they judge things. For when you consider the people of the world, uh, Let's say they're trying to decide what man is successful and what is the man who is great. How do you find out who's a great man according to the world if you're trying to judge this? Do they go by the inner character? Actually, how much of it is this? Well, how much money does he have? Show me his bank accounts. How pretty or sexy is his wife? Is she a trophy on his arm? How beautiful is his home? How vast is his state? How immense his wealth? How great is his fame? How athletic and good-looking is he? Does he dress well? Is he charming? Is he well-spoken? Is he, in a word, cool? And if he can fulfill all of these things, which is the outward appearance of them, then that is the man the world will call great. And to kind of make that point a little more appropriate for our present context today on Super Bowl Sunday, who is the man the world will call the great hero of our age? Is it not, you could say, in a nutshell, the quarterback? Isn't that true? Think about it. If he matches all these things we just spoke about, he's the greatest. Why? Number one, they're usually very good-looking guys. All right, they're good-looking, they're handsome, they are athletic, they're young, they're smart, they're well-spoken, they are very well-spoken, they have lots of money, they're usually at least a millionaire, if not many times over a millionaire, maybe even a billionaire. They have a vast estate. If you look at their house, it probably looks like a castle. They are, uh, they are uh, well, super cool, and as for the wife, What's the Super, Super Bowl quarterback's wife usually look like? She's a hottie. You know what I mean? She's a, she's a supermodel. She's fantastically good looking. She's a trophy. She's a lush. And so the world say, did I say that wrong? <laughs> I don't have all my diction in the modern. I, I live several hundred years ago, so don't worry. 
Strike that last one from the record. <laughs> but the world says, that's the man I want to be. If you're a man, because he's got everything, outward appearance. And if you're a woman, a lot of women say, that's the man I want to marry. And even if you don't like quarterbacks, uh, at least the world still judges the rest of life by the outward appearance of things. And I'm not saying quarterbacks aren't great guys too. The two in the bowl today are good Christians, I believe. But the world, my point is, judges by the outward appearance of things. That's the world's reality. So next question, what about us though? How about uh, we Christians? Do we judge by the outward appearance of things or something else? Well, the answer we might like to say is, no, we don't do that. But I think if we're honest, we also judge by the outward appearance. At least in part, we still do that too, even God's saints. As an example of that, let's take a look at the Bible. When, uh, remember, King Saul failed. God's going to send Samuel to anoint another king. It's going to be David. And when uh, God sent Samuel to anoint David as king, remember, he didn't tell Samuel, which one of Jesse's sons it was going to be that he was to anoint. So we read, when they came, uh, uh, came in, uh, he looked on Eliab, the firstborn son, the eldest of Jesse. And Samuel thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So check this out. Even Samuel, I mean, he was fantastic, spiritual guy, prophet of the Lord. Even he judged by the outward appearance. Oh, Eliab, he looks like a king. He's tall, he's full stature, he's regal. Surely this is the king. God says, no, no, that's the outward appearance. I'm looking on the heart. Let's bring in the rest of the sons, says Samuel. None of these has the Lord chosen. Is this all your sons? Well, there's still one youngest one. He's in the field keeping watch over the flock. Bring him in, says Samuel. And the Lord said, this is he, anoint him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. But the point here is even the saints, even Christians, at least in part, since we still have flesh, can and often do still judge by the outward appearance of things rather than the inner truth. Let me make that a little more clear if I could. Let's take a, a modern day Christian, okay? They're looking for a new church. They're in a new home, a new, new town, new city. What do they do when they look for a new church? Do they judge by the outward appearance or by the inner? Well, if a Christian's looking for a new church, he might look around, shop around and say, oh, I really found it. I like this one. Why? Because the building is big. It's new. It's clean. It's great. They have a fantastic band. You should hear their music. Woo. It's professional. They have a sports team there. Lots of children. Their lobby or narthex. It's like the Ritz-Carlton. I want to check into this hotel. And then as for the pastor, he's slick. He's a good-looking young guy, athletic. He's well-dressed. He drives a BMW. He's a good speaker, and he has a pretty wife. Yes, he's the quarterback for me. You notice it's the same thing. It's the outward appearance of things. Even if the doctrine isn't right, they don't preach the whole counsel of God, and Jesus isn't the center hero, nevertheless, 
hey, but it's cool. So many Christians, even we, can at times still tend to judge things by the outward appearances of things, not the heart. So what does God then say to us today uh, about this through our central scripture, which is Luke chapter 9, Jesus and the Mount of Transfiguration? Yes, what's God say to us about our outward appearances versus truth by his great event here that happened long ago on that mountain when Jesus went up it to do something with his disciples. Let's read that again, refresh ourselves. Okay, we're in Luke chapter 9. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance, say appearance, the outward appearance, the appearance of his face was changed and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, then two men stood with him, Moses and Elijah. By the way, they're supposed to be dead, right? But we're seeing beyond here. They appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was to accomplish at Jerusalem. Then Peter, waking up, sees this. Master, it's well that we're here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses and Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he said this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silence and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. So this is a fantastic event that really happened. What is God teaching us here about the outward appearance of things versus reality and truth? It's this, that we see here in this passage, that there is a spiritual world that is more real than what our physical eyes can perceive or see. Because let's consider what happened. Jesus went up on that mountain and he was changed, right? He became dazzling white and his face shone like the sun. What was happening here on this dark mountain? Was it that, as we might think, that Jesus was one way normally, and that he was changed into something he isn't normally, namely glory. Is that the way we read it? A lot of times we think that way. But is that what really happened here? Was it that Jesus was a fleshy man and he became something he wasn't? Or is it really on this mountain something different changed, namely that a curtain was drawn back, a veil removed. God, Jesus pulled back the eyes of blinders upon them and they got to see him as he really is, the Lord of glory. You know, up until this point, all they knew was Jesus in the flesh. As it were, he was wearing a mask, a disguise, the covering of the outer garb, the outer appearance of a man. And he was a man. But he was so much like us that Peter, even just before this event, just before it, took Jesus aside and rebuked him to his face and said, you're not going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus had to sharply put Peter back into his place. I mean, he looked so much like us that Peter thought, this is who we're dealing with, a man. He goes up on that mountain and Jesus allows him to see who he really is, the Lord of glory and shining in splendor. And he was able to see what normally is unseen into the real 
spiritual world that exists beyond what our flesh can see. And these disciples were wonderfully changed by that event. I mean, could you come down from the mountain the same? You go up and you just know fleshly Jesus. You come down and you've seen him in all his bright, shining power. Well, later on, we know that this certainly had changed these people. For Peter says in 2 Peter, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by that majestic glory, by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, we heard this voice from heaven, for we were with him on the mountain. Super changed here was he. And so when they came down, Peter, James, and John, they were seeing things differently. It's as if blinders came off and spiritual sight was given to them. And they're like, whoa, this is the world that I'm living in. Jesus is the Lord of glory. And they operated in this spiritual world that's all about us all the time, which we can't see from that day on in power. Whew. And I bought these yesterday, these glasses at the Dollar Tree. Jesus has better glasses for us. Okay, so next question is, what does all this mean for us? The point is, friends, God is teaching us here that there is a world, a spiritual world, that is more true than what your outward eyes can see of the outward appearance of things of the flesh. All we're seeing is the outer shell of things. We're not seeing the truth. What could we see if we could open our eyes today? Well, Angels all about us. This is the realm. If you put on the glasses to see truth and reality, you'd see this is the realm of God who exists and of the angels, the elect angels. It's also this world about us. It's the world of Satan and demons as well. Heaven above and hell beneath. There's a path to life. I see it. And there's a way of darkness, which when you take the glasses off, you can't see any of these things. It's just the outward appearance and all these things become invisible. In this passage, God is showing that there is a world and I want your eyes open to it, my people. I want you to see things as I see. I want you to live in reality as I am real and my spiritual world is real. Do you live this way? You know, we all can tend to still go back to the flesh because we still got outer flesh and judge by appearances. But God wants us to see the truth. That's all about us and live in it. A reality and a world that unbelievers do not believe in and cannot see. For Paul says in our reading today, in their case, the God of this world, devil, little g God, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the likeness of God. So that covering, that shield, that curtain, that veil still is over them so that they can't perceive what we can see through God's gift of sight. And so I think of a, a guy I met some time ago. Actually, we were sailing on my boat. He's a good man, perhaps a Christian, but his faith was dim. He was an army uh, guy, now out of the army, but he was a rescue man on Black Hawk helicopters. And so they would go into war zones where other helicopters couldn't go, normal ones, and they would fly in under heavy gunfire, he'd be dropped down and he'd have to be dropped off and go find the wounded that he was to, to get and bring him back to the chopper and fly away. 
he was in three helicopter crashes, shot down, or big troubles, and one of them, he said, uh, as they were crashing, he felt a hand grab him and yank him back away because the front was getting smashed and he got pulled into the back of the helicopter and he survived. When he, he came to and everything settled, he talked to the two other uh, airmen or, or two other uh, soldiers there and he said, which one of you yanked me back and saved my life? They said, we didn't yank you back. You weren't even near us. Uh, we weren't even there. We were way in the back. He says, no, no, I felt it. It was a real hand and I got yanked from the front and right into the back and saved my life. Who did it? We didn't do it. And I told them on the boat as we're sailing along, a couple of weeks ago, I said, I know who did it. It was an angel. And he was like, well, I don't know about that. I said, I said, look, it's sort of like we've been sailing for the last couple of hours, 20 some mile an hour winds. You can't see the wind, can you? Nobody can see the wind. And yet you can see the force of it thrusting into our sail, propelling us forward. And we've gone miles and miles on the sea. The whole spiritual world around us is like that. We feel the power of it. It's pushing on us all the time. It's all about us. You can't see it just like you can't see the wind. That doesn't mean the wind isn't there. And the spiritual world also is really there. It is the real truth. And he said, well, maybe. And he came closer to believing maybe it was an angel. Which now brings us to this question. The next question I have is, how do any of us go from not seeing to actually seeing this spiritual world and actually learning to live in it all the time, like Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. Not judging just the outward appearance of things, but the truth. You know what? The answer to that is right in this passage. We read a moment ago. About eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his countenance, his face was changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. So how do you go from not seeing, curtain, to seeing? Answer, Jesus has to open your eyes. Amen? And he took with him Peter, James, and John to open their eyes that they see. And he took, him, took them up on a mountain to take their blinders off, to reveal this world to them, and to open their eyes to see reality as it really is, and Jesus as he really is. So they had, hmm, they had a mountain. What mountain can we climb? Do you know of any mountains in Florida we could go up and, and Jesus could open our eyes? We don't have any mountains. We don't even have hills in Florida, hardly. But we have a mountain, friends, that you can climb today with Jesus, he taking you up there, and he will remove the blinders and put on you real spiritual sight. What is the mountain? his word. To dive into and climb this mountain, he will reveal to you the truth that's all about us right now, that spiritual world that's more real than what your physical eyes can see. And that mountain is the word. Do you know that on this mountain, in Luke chapter 9, that that is actually what uh, really opened the eyes of the disciples? Because they saw Jesus change in his appearance, right? But they still didn't know exactly who he was. Then a cloud comes and overshadows the mountain. And out of the mountain comes a voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. How do they really get sharp spiritual sight and go, oh, it's the Lord of glory. How do they know? God spoke to them. 
He spoke to them a word. We ascend this mountain, friends, and you will see things more clearly than you've ever seen them before. And you'll see the truth. I'm not talking fairy tales here. If you are an unbeliever, all you can see is the outward appearance because your eyes aren't yet opened. You're blind. And what do you see? You look at Jesus. He's just a hippie. He had long hair. <laughs> he's a rebel. He's a teacher. He's a guru. But he's not the son of God and the Savior. Can't see it. How about, uh, how about the cross? To them, all they see is foolishness. The word of God, all they see, that's a lie. His condemning my, of my sin, that's a sham. His message of salvation, that's a strange word. I don't understand it. His kingdom, this talk of a kingdom that's coming, what is this, a fairy tale or something? Because their eyes are covered with a curtain. But what happens when Jesus comes and opens your eyes? and reveals by the word, all of a sudden you see things, whoa, this is a whole different world than I saw before. I look at Jesus, he's the Lord of glory. He's God in the flesh. He's the one and only savior of the world. If you look at the cross, oh, that is the power of God for my salvation to all who believe. When you consider his word, well, I see it's now the truth and it's a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. As to his condemning of my sin, I see it now as just. He's right. When we talk about the message of salvation, oh no, now I see that's my joyful rescue. And of this kingdom to come, it's no fairy tale. It's the God honest truth. There's a real kingdom that God has awaiting us our great hope. So we see all this, friends, by God granting it to us, opening our eyes through the mountain of his word, the scriptures. For faith comes from what is heard, what is heard by the preaching of Christ. And faith, I want you to know, is not wishful thinking. It's not like, gee, I sure hope this is true. Faith is saying, I see it, I know it's true. And uh, it is now seeing uh, something by which we can go through all the treacherous waters of this world and navigate safely. Navigate just straight and sure with a courageous, calm, confident because we see everything about us. But we need to be on guard here. Because remember, the devil is called the deceiver of the whole world, right? He blinds people's minds. We're living in a world of unbelievers, and we still have an old outer flesh that wants to look at the outward appearance. And so our eyes can become dim again, even after seeing. We need to continually come to Christ, go up that mountain every day, and let him open our eyes and be sharper still kind of like when Jesus took the blind man and he rubbed, uh, put spit on his hands and rubbed, rubbed his eyes and said, do you see anything? The man said, uh, I see people walking, but they look like trees. Let's try this again. Jesus heals him again and oh, now I see everything clearly. Our sight can be dim. It can be sharp. It can be blind. It can be great. It's dependent upon how often we are in this word. And it will make your life great when we see. I remember when I was a, you know, captaining a, a schooner up in Maine. I've shared this story with you before, but a lot of fog up there in Maine. And one day I was bringing about 22 guests in, passengers on my boat, into Camden Harbor up in Maine. You been there, Lynn? Yeah. yeah. And so you got Curtis Island, the rocks on the left. You got a rock ledge on your right, a very narrow channel. You got to go. 
And as I'm looking with my physical eyes, I'm like, oh, it looks like I need to turn to the left because aren't those the rocks? But then I grabbed my radar, I looked at the radar, and I looked at that in front of the wheel and I said, no, no, it's saying go straight because if I turn left, I'm gonna run shipwreck on Curtis Island. Which one do you think I went with? The outer view or the radar? If you're a good captain, you should go with the radar. Why? Because it's seeing reality. It's seeing the truth beyond what your physical eyes can see. It's, the, it's what is really there. And when we went by the straight in we came and we were calm. About a minute or two later, the deckhand on the front, on the bow, says, ah, I see the next buoy and straight into the dock, alive and well, had a great time. It makes all the difference, friends, if you go by the radar or if you go by your, your physical eyes. We need to be sharp with the radar for physical eyes deceive, but the radar of the word gives you sharp and clear vision and you can chart your course by it with courageous confidence. It's the reality. So the benefits are amazing. Can I share just a few benefits with you before I close? When you're afraid and you're feeling alone and you seem surrounded by enemies, we can be like that young man with Elisha. Remember when the king of Assyria sent armies and he gets up in the morning, he's like, Oh my goodness, Elijah, we're, we're surrounded by armies. We're dead. And he panicked. And uh, Elisha, he says, what shall we do? Elisha says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What do you mean? I don't see. God, says Elisha, open this young man's eyes. His eyes were opened. Whoa, all of a sudden he sees all around them, the armies of heaven, angels and their chariots. Ah, there are more with us than there are with them. No problem. It'll take away your fear and give you confidence. How about when you're tempted to go in the wrong way? Let's take the example of an adventurous, a loose woman. To the physical eyes, boy, she looks good. It looks like a thirsty, wonderful drink. To these eyes, saw Proverbs 11, like a gold ring in a swine's snout. is a beautiful woman with no discretion. And then again, her house sinks down to death, her paths to the shades... None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. You look through the word and you're like, whoa, I don't want to go with her. That'd be terrible. She'll kill me. But rather, what kind of woman should I marry? Oh, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's the one I should look for. How about when you are wondering about what you should live for in life? Well, the word says, don't go after the treasures of this world, but the treasure in heaven. For there, it's eternal. And you won't lose what you've worked for, but will win a full reward. For there, there is no moth or rust or thieves to break in and steal these things, but it's an eternal inheritance. So, I know the way to go. How about if you're wondering if you're forgiven? Oh, I'm guilty. God's after me. The devil pelts you like rain and makes it hard for you to see God, and you begin to fear. You put on the eyes of the gradar. By grace, you've been saved through faith. This isn't your own doing. It's a free gift of God. Not because of works, lest any man should boast, and you're restored to peace. When you start to look and you see, oh my goodness, I'm heading to death, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, and it's just a big black hole you put on the glasses, ah, totally different. It's just the highway home. For to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. I got great courage now. And then one more. Is there really, though, Lord, a kingdom is there really a world to obtain? Is there really a city? Or is that just a daydream and a fairy tale? Well, you put this on here, 
God's not ashamed to be called our God, for he has prepared for them a city. And behold, right now we're looking through a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, then we'll understand fully, even as we've been fully understood. For we walk by faith, not by sight, says Paul. And God promises this in Isaiah, your eyes will see the king in his beauty. They'll behold a land that stretches afar and God there for you will be a place of broad rivers and streams. The Lord is our judge, the Lord's our ruler, the Lord is our king, and he will save us. And as for me, says David, I shall behold thy face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with beholding thy form. This is the confidence we have when you chart your course by the real radar, the word of God, your eyes are open, everything gets great. So let's be in the word, friends, and ascend that mountain with Christ. Do you see the unseen and live by it? God calls us to see as he sees, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearances, but the Lord looks upon the heart. And he calls us to see the truth through his word, the true radar that penetrates the dark and shows you reality, gives you sight as the disciples to see Jesus as your savior, the one and only Lord of glory, and to make you the sharper in it by the day with a calm courage till the day we do see him face to face. For this slight momentary affliction we are experiencing is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison because we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are passing away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.